When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a big day in Westminster. MPs will vote this afternoon on whether the Prime Minister should be investigated for misleading Parliament. The country has already concluded that he's either a liar or an idiot. Sorry, sorry. After months of a drip, drip of revelations about parties that were held in Number 10 during lockdown, last week came the first of the police fines. I paid the fine immediately and I offered the British people a full apology. There wasn't much surprise when the Prime Minister and his wife, Carrie Johnson, were fined for breaking lockdown rules. But one announcement from the police did turn heads in Westminster. I can confirm uh, that the Chancellor has uh, received notification that the Metropolitan Police intend to issue them with fixed penalty notices. After a week that almost brought down the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, the man who'd been widely touted as his replacement, where do things stand now? In a funny way, Sunak's weakness in the very short term, has strengthened his boss, Boris Johnson. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Boris, Rishi and the party line. Hello. Hi, Henry. Hi, Manveen. How's it going? Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. That's Henry Zeffman, Associate Political Editor for The Times. So you're somewhere in Parliament? I am indeed. And it's it's Wednesday morning. What's the mood like in the Westminster village at the moment? Well, I was out on the terrace looking over the Thames with lots of MPs last night on Tuesday night. And I'd say they are uneasy, hmm. but the mood is relatively stable, is the truth of things. And I and I appreciate that might sound strange, given the extraordinary instability, at least on paper, of having a prime minister who's been fined for breaking his own extraordinary unprecedented laws. And the fact that he had 
to some degree a difficult ride in the House of Commons chamber afterwards. But I think for most MPs, it has become clear that in the absence of something changing things, and that might happen, we might see more fines, for example, very soon. But in the absence of that new factor, they are going to stick with Boris Johnson until the local elections, at the very least, and then take stock after that. And take us back to yesterday, to Tuesday afternoon, when Boris Johnson, this long-awaited statement to Parliament where he had to stand up and apologise, really, for, for the fines that he had now had to pay. What was the mood like in Parliament when he stood up? What was the, the mood like as he made his statement? Well, I think I think MPs were supportive initially. He got a big cheer when he walked into the Commons chamber. We now come to the next statement. I now call the Prime Minister to make his statement. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With permission, I say cheer. It's that sort of weird voice, that uh, sort of braying noise that MPs make, and so you know that that went fine. He then delivered, in his own words, in all humility, his unreserved apology. Let me begin in all humility by saying that on the twelfth of April, I received a fixed penalty notice relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June 2020. I paid the fine immediately and I offered the British people a full apology. And I take this opportunity on the first available sitting day to repeat my wholehearted apology to the House. Cleaving fairly closely, I thought, to the language he used exactly a week before from Chequers when he did get fined. And... That went down okay. He then tried to carry out that slightly uneasy pivot to Ukraine. It is precisely because I know that so many people are angry and disappointed that I feel an even greater sense of obligation to deliver on the priorities of the British people and to respond in the best traditions of our country to Putin's barbaric onslaught against Ukraine. I think that was a difficult pivot, but he knew that, Mm. and it is probably politically necessary for him to try to change the subject. So I'd say his speech to the Commons basically went down fine. It was solid. He didn't, as he has done before, sort of rile MPs by getting the tone completely wrong. But equally, I don't think Conservative MPs were watching it and thinking, wow, this is a new, humble Boris Johnson who has been completely transformed by this experience. And although the MPs you were talking to last night seem to have decided Boris Johnson is is their leader for now, certainly, there were some on the Conservative benches who made it quite clear they thought it was time for him to go. Well, there was one. So Mm. Mark Harper, who is a former chief whip in the last year of David Cameron's government, I regret to say that we have a Prime Minister who broke the laws that he told the country they had to follow, hasn't been straightforward about it, and is now going to ask the men and the decent men and women on this, these benches to defend what I think is indefensible. I'm very sorry to have to say this, but I no longer think he is worthy 
of the great office that he holds. I mean, look, he's an influential and respected member of parliament among conservative backbenchers. But I would just temper the importance of his intervention solely by saying that he has clearly been visibly, publicly, been thinking about doing this for some time. But the thing about Mark Harper is that he is he is a wily parliamentary operator and he will not have decided to go over the top if he's not confident that there are more people coming over behind him. And while that didn't happen in the Commons chamber yesterday, you know, I would not be surprised if we see a drip, drip, drip over the coming days, perhaps more likely weeks, which does start to thrust the question of Boris Johnson's leadership straight back to the centre of Westminster debate. And that's... I mean, there's, there are sort of more immediate moves for that already with this big vote that's coming up now on Thursday afternoon. Tell us a bit about that. What, what, it, what exactly is the vote? How would it work? And what are you hearing about what, what might come of it? So Labour have tabled a motion. We don't specifically know how it will work yet, but what we do in broad outline know is that they will ask the House of Commons to refer Boris Johnson for investigation to something called the Privileges Committee. It's a committee of fellow MPs. It's fairly rarely used, certainly not for things like this. To be clear, the Labour Party does not expect this vote to succeed. And I'd be stunned. I'm making a broth from my own back here, but I'd be stunned if it does. (laughs) But what they do want to do by tabling this vote is force Conservative MPs either to vote and therefore put it on record that they don't want Boris Johnson to be investigated for over whether he misled Parliament, which would be very useful for Labour because they can put that on leaflets in the local elections and indeed in the general election going forward. Or they force Conservative MPs to rebel, which makes the Conservative Party look divided. Either way, that's win-win for Labour. Henry, all of that was a culmination of a week of high political drama. Take us back to this last week. You know, it started with Boris Johnson on a bit of a high in, in Keefe, being hailed as a hero even by some of his critics. But by Tuesday, the headlines had changed. Well, look, it was not expected to be a big political week. I think that's a really important point. Recess. Mm. MPs disappear from Westminster. A lot of journalists disappear from Westminster, for that matter. Tuesday was a relatively quiet day. I was having lunch with a couple of colleagues in the House of Lords canteen, and midway through my very tasty fruit salad, suddenly we got an alert saying that Boris Johnson had been fined by the Metropolitan Police for breaking lockdown rules. Uh, Today, I've received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June 2020. It was a moment that we had thought was likely to come, though not certain. But what was absolutely certain was that it was a big moment for Boris Johnson. Let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology. What subsequently became clear is that since that morning when the Metropolitan Police had called Downing Street, it sparked a day of extraordinary panic at the top of government. And 
I think, set the ball rolling on some really significant events of constitutional gravity, but it's still quite unclear where they'll end. Well, talk us through that day. It does seem to be key. What sort of preparation was going on for all of this behind the scenes in Number 10 already? Well, they'd wargamed what they would do. Uh, And of course, worth remembering that Boris Johnson has been grappling with questions of what they did in Downing Street during lockdowns for months now. In fact, he's been grappling with them for so long that he dispensed with his previous communications director and chief of staff who handled the initial fallout arguably relatively badly, certainly Boris Johnson thought so, and replaced them with new people. He's got a new chief of staff, Steve Barclay, unusually an MP and cabinet minister. He's got a new director of communications, former BBC journalist Kuta Harry. And they had come up with a response. But two things that weren't necessarily expected. One is for it to come during recess. So Boris Johnson was at Chequers. His, his chief of staff, Steve Barclay, was in his Cambridgeshire constituency. Hari, his director of communications, was in Egypt. But the second thing they hadn't necessarily reckoned with was that Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, would also be fined. And that transformed the political dynamics of the day because a story which we had expected and Downing Street had expected to be about Boris Johnson becoming the first prime minister to be found to have committed a breach of the law while in office actually became a story for much of the day about whether the chancellor, the next most senior person in the British government, might quit. And that gave the day a much more chaotic flavour than I think any Downing Street war game might have anticipated. That really was a surprise to all of us. You know, we'd seen Rishi Sunak making lots of statements during the whole Partygate crisis where he seemed certainly to believe he was innocent of all of this. I remember a few months ago, really not that long before he did end up getting fined, he was asked at the end of an interview by Sky News whether he expected to receive a questionnaire, which was the form in which the Met was interrogating these events. Have you received your questionnaire from the Metropolitan Police yet? No. Are you expecting to receive one? Uh, No. Are you worried about... I I don't don't know. Do you believe you may have broken the rules? Uh, No. The lockdown rules? No, Okay. Does the Prime Minister have your confidence? The Prime Minister has my total support. Thank you. I think he was being entirely sincere there. He did not expect to receive a questionnaire. Very soon afterwards he in fact did receive a questionnaire. This all goes back to Boris Johnson's lockdown birthday gathering. I'm loath to call it a party because people in Downing Street would contest that, but there was a gathering in June 2020, organised by his wife, Carrie, who also got fined on the same day as, as Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. And Sunak, at least in the version of events he presents, was arriving in Downing Street specifically the cabinet room, for a meeting of one of the COVID subcommittees, which at that point was meeting daily. He arrived conscientiously early and happened upon a meeting happening before that COVID meeting in the cabinet room. Except it wasn't a meeting, it was a birthday gathering at which Boris Johnson was or perhaps was not presented with a cake, Uh, happy birthday was or perhaps was not sung, Uh, whatever, the events are contested. What is now incontestable is that the Metropolitan Police believes that what happened was a breach of the lockdown rules, which were written, passed, enforced by the people in that room. And Rishi Sunak attended for the latter portion of that event, and that's what he's been fined for. 
just to confirm, I've got this right. So he wasn't expecting to get a, a questionnaire from the Metropolitan Police as sort of being asked about whether he'd done something wrong because he hadn't actually been invited to this party. He hadn't really been at the party. He was just early for a meeting that was happening in the same room as the party. Well, look, that's the Sunak version of events. Ah. Look, it's always worth remembering that we haven't heard him say any of this in public. So mm. I do my best, my colleagues at the Times do our best to to speak to people as close as possible to these events and as close as possible to Rishi Sunak and, and get their version of events out into the public view. But Rishi Sunak has never been questioned and certainly never answered extensively on this. But my firm understanding is that, yes, that's that's his defence. That is the defence he advanced to the Metropolitan Police. Rishi Sunak, I'm sure would crave an explanation from a senior <laughs> Metropolitan Police officer about why they didn't accept his version of events. But the crucial political fact is that they didn't, or rather that they decided that whatever his version of events, he had broken the COVID laws. And as a consequence, he has been left in a very difficult political position and the government more generally is left in a very difficult political position. So this fine for Rishi Sunak came out of the blue. It sparked for him a, a huge day, really, of trying to decide whether or not he should quit. Just to understand what had gone into that, we should mention that whilst Boris Johnson went into this crisis with the fines on Tuesday on a bit of a high, having just been in Kiev, for Rishi Sunak, when that fine arrived, it was at the end of what was probably the worst week of his political career. Just tell us, give us a little reminder of the confluence of crises that Rishi Sunak has been facing. We should be prepared for the economy and public finances to worsen potentially significantly. So I am doubling the household support fund to a billion pounds with 500 million pounds of new funding. Local authorities, Mr Speaker, are best placed to help those in need in their local areas and they will receive this funding from April. The spring statement was relatively warmly received initially by Conservative MPs, though some had hoped that he would go a bit further to addressing the cost of living crisis. But anyway, very quickly that became completely irrelevant because the Office for Budget Responsibility, which is the independent agency which produces forecasts, rapidly overtook the headlines with its very eye-catching projections about the decline in disposable incomes and the cost of living crisis exactly, is about exactly. to rock us all. Yeah. They put numbers, and pretty eye-catching numbers, on what we had all suspected was coming. With inflation outpacing earnings and taxes due to rise from this April, real living standards are set to fall by more than 2% over the next 12 months, their largest financial year fall since records began in the mid-1950s. And while that wasn't, of course, because this is not their job, a direct assault on Sunak's spring statement... What it did do was clarify the magnitude of the events that his economic statement was going up against. And suddenly, what had looked like a relatively deft, if not earth-shattering political and economic package, started to look like a sort of tiddling drop in the ocean. So that didn't go particularly well, although nothing as compared to what was about to come. Coming up. To smear my wife to get to me is awful. She loves her country like I love mine. But first, a quick word from a colleague. I'm Josh Glancy, special correspondent for the Sunday Times. 
and it's my job to make the newspaper as interesting and entertaining as possible, whether reporting on British drinking culture or interviewing anyone from Joan Collins to Malcolm Gladwell to the cast of Succession. I love my job because I get to meet some of the most interesting people around and then share it with everyone else. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Chancellor's spring statement should have been a high point for Rishi Sunak, but instead it hailed the start of the worst few weeks of his career. Chancellors don't get every spring statement, every budget right, and that is true of some of the most successful chancellors who've lasted the longest in the office. Gordon Brown, who was in there for a decade, Nigel Lawson, Rishi Sunak's great hero, who of course was Thatcher's chancellor for six or seven years. What neither Gordon Brown nor Nigel Lawson ever had to cope with was the revelation, which in the days before Sunak's fine, that his wife, Charlotte was a non-dom. The finance minister of the United Kingdom is facing questions about his wife's financial affairs. This all comes after it was confirmed that the multi-millionaire Akshata Murthy has non-domicile status in the UK. That means she doesn't have to pay taxes in Britain on her income which is earned abroad. It is not good, to say the very least, for the Chancellor, the person responsible for the strength of the Exchequer, to be married to someone who is perceived to not be paying the full amount into the exchequer that she might be paying. So that's point one. I think the point two, the more significant thing for Rishi Sunak, and the reason he went into the week in which he got fined so vulnerable, was that his response, his handling of that, by any stretch, awkward revelation, was abysmal. In an interview with The Sun, the Chancellor said she hasn't broken any rules. She's followed the letter of the law. She's a private citizen. And of course, I support my wife's choices. She's not her husband's possession. To smear my wife to get to me is awful. She loves her country like I love mine. Subsequently, Akshata Murthy announced that she would, in fact, be paying full tax on her foreign income 
up to about 48 hours ago, the Chancellor said the arrangements of his wife, a private citizen, had nothing to do with his role as Chancellor. But that position has changed. Ms Murty issued a rare personal statement in which she said, many feel my status is incompatible with my husband's role as Chancellor. She went on to say, I understand and appreciate the British sense of fairness. So it had been possible so after all. It, after all, it was possible. Conservative MPs started to question more seriously than ever before the political savvy of the man that many of them saw as the inevitable successor to Boris Johnson. Even over that period, by the way, we think Sunak considered relatively seriously whether he should quit. What I'm told he did not anticipate when deciding to persevere was that just a few days later, as he and his family recovered in his North Yorkshire constituency from the turmoil of those past few days, that he was about to be plunged into further, deeper turmoil. Talk us through that. You know, you say he was already thinking about possibly resigning, and then the fine comes. Talk us through that day and Rishi Sunak's, the decision he had to make within hours. Well, it hadn't actually struck Downing Street initially or 10 Downing Street, I should say, because, of course, Sunak uh, is 11 Downing Street, it hadn't actually struck them that he might quit. Johnson and Sunak had a phone call shortly after, or almost immediately after they were notified that they were being fined. They agreed that they'd put out a statement saying that they'd been fined and that they were paying up, and that's what happened. Then, minds in Downing Street, 10 Downing Street, turned to what Boris Johnson would say later. They knew that he had to get a clip out there before the six o'clock news, basically, on some channel I've never heard of called the BBC. <laughs> and uh, it didn't seem to cross their mind that they had a problem with the Chancellor. Hmm. But in the meantime, Rishi Sunak was having a wobble, I think it is fair to say. We're told that initially his strong instinct was that he should resign. He was furious that he'd been fined. He didn't think he deserved to be fined, but he could also see the case that as has been said this week, lawmaker can't be lawbreaker, and that the honourable course would be to quit. I think he was just, by the sounds of things, it was almost a sort of emotional spasm, which I think is inseparable from the context of the previous few weeks that we just talked about. Mm. He was already feeling put upon and hard done by and frustrated. We're told that he discussed what his resignation might look like. Wow. He said he wanted to you know, make clear if he did go that he was not calling for Boris Johnson to go, that he would not be leaving politics, contrary to some of the suggestions during that previous week over the non-dom stuff. That was the sort of space that he was in. He was prevailed upon by close advisors who said, don't quit, partly because you know if you quit, you won't be Chancellor anymore. I know that sounds facetious, but it's quite an important point. You won't be running Britain's economic policy anymore. Are you sure you want to give that up? But also, one argument that we know was made to him was that any resignation would inevitably, whatever its intentions, be seen as an act of political regicide against Boris Johnson. Because, of course, the question would become to the Prime Minister, well, your Chancellor has quit on the basis that a lawmaker can't be a lawbreaker, so why not you? Eventually, Quite late on, a good couple of hours after Boris Johnson had made his statement from Chequers deep into the night, Sunak released a statement saying that he'd paid the fine and that his focus was on Britain's priorities or something like that. But ultimately, the upshot of that statement being that he was staying in place. But the length of that wobble yeah. from you know early afternoon when the fine was announced to quite late in the evening, the sort of time of night I can attest where 
newspaper front pages suddenly have to get rewritten if the Chancellor makes clear that they're not resigning, <laughs> despite what you might have expected. Panic all round. Uh, absolutely. It's the most important consequence, of course. Uh, <laughs> that length of time exhibited quite clearly the difficulty of the decision that Sunak had faced. And so I guess to get back to to get back to Boris Johnson, why is Boris Johnson still relatively, for now we think, safe in his position in number 10, despite becoming the first prime minister to have been found to have committed a, a breach of the law while prime minister? Well, six weeks ago, four weeks ago, perhaps even less, my brain's so addled by <laughs> the craziness of the last few weeks that I can't quite work out the dates, but Rishi Sunak was the inevitable successor if the ball came loose from the yeah. back of the scrum, to use that Boris Johnson phrase of yesteryear. And now, that's not Sunak. It's kind of unclear who it is. And MPs don't commit regicide when there's no alternative king. In a funny way, Sunak's weakness, in the very short term, strengthened his boss, Boris Johnson. In the medium term, in the long term, it's not good for the Prime Minister to have an unpopular and weak Chancellor, for sure. But for now, it's helping Boris Johnson get through what ought, but isn't quite yet, to be the most difficult period of his political career. That's so interesting. So until last week, we had months, really, of the Partygate scandal looking like it might just unlodge Boris Johnson from number 10. It was so serious. It was incredibly damaging to his reputation. Whereas Rishi Sunak was very much looking like a clean pair of hands. As of last week, when the fines came through, weirdly, Rishi Sunak is now weaker than Boris Johnson as a result of them. Absolutely. He's come out worse. That's absolutely right for now. For now. But that's an important caveat because the Metropolitan Police is investigating 12 events. We think, we don't completely know, but we think that Boris Johnson attended or is involved in at least six of them. So this is one of them, mm. one of those six for which he's been fined. But if he gets another fine in, say, a fortnight, and another fine, say, a fortnight after that, and so on and so on up to six, then you get to a point at which the fact that the Chancellor got fined way back when is no longer the, the defence or the sort of factor that it is now. Perhaps at some point the public just go, this is ridiculous, the scale of the of the rule-breaking. And we had a poll in, in the Times this week, carried out for us by YouGov, which said that almost two-thirds of British voters say that if Boris Johnson gets more fines, they want him to resign. So let's see. The crucial factor here, or a crucial factor here for Conservative MPs, comes in May, May the 5th local elections. As ever with these local elections, it's a slightly complicated patchwork of places up around the country. But Conservative MPs will be watching not just in their local areas, but nationally, to see whether those election results suggest that party gate has really harmed Boris Johnson with voters really significantly. If it has, hmm. then that's much likelier to make them move against him. But you come back to the same question. Who are they going to install in his place? And it's probably not now, Rishi Sunak, at least not in the near future. And that is the question that they'll be asking themselves before they decide, if they do decide to do so, that they want a leadership election. I do think it is too easy to pass over the seriousness of what has happened. Yes, we expected for some time that the Prime Minister would probably get fined. 
but that shouldn't blind us to the gravity of him being fined and what it means, which is that he was a lawmaker who broke the law. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Associate Political Editor for The Times, Henry Zethman. You can find all of Henry's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel, with help from Olivia Case and Katie Tarrant. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. We do read all of them, I promise. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.